we're going to pray together. We're going to learn some aspects of prayer. And, and I, just, I just wanted to say, as we're walking through this series, what we're doing is essentially we are adding tools to our prayer toolbox. Every week we're going to be talking about a different aspect of prayer and maybe an even a different type of prayer. I'm not suggesting that we employ these types of prayer every single day, although you could do that if you have the time. But what I'm suggesting is we need to grow in discerning what kind of prayer uh, the, the Spirit is calling us into and what kind of prayer is going to be good for our souls in any given season. So in a toolbox, you have a hammer, you have a screwdriver, you have a wrench, you have all kinds of tools, and uh, every job doesn't require the same tool every time. But if you need a hammer, you best not grab the screwdriver. And so all we're doing is we're thinking about other tools that we can kind of put in our toolbox as we learn to pray. And last week, we started out with one of the simplest ways of engaging in prayer is complaint. Take your complaints and roll those over into prayers. And we saw in the Psalms where this is exemplified both, it's not just, we're not just instructed to do it, it's modeled for us in the Psalms. And then we looked at even some other places with Moses and Jeremiah where they model this idea of using complaint as prayer. And I don't know about you, but what I noticed this week is that the negative exhausting complaining atmosphere in my mind was greatly reduced because I was getting those things out of my head and verbalizing them before God and I even told Jen yesterday I really I know it sounds a little cheesy but but what I'm recognizing is my goodness I was such a terribly negative person and that negative conversation was constantly dragging me down and as I began to think about it it's so easy for us to have negative conversations, isn't it? Whether you're getting your hair did at the um, uh, barber shop or at the, at the beauty shop or you're in the coffee shop. I mean, whatever. It's just so easy to get moved into. I mean, I would sit down in the barber's chair and we would just start complaining about everything. And then pretty soon, everyone else in the room, uh, I, I go over, I, well, I used to go over your crown and glory. And I really miss it because I just meant getting to hang out with everyone there in the barber shop. Uh, but I have no need for a barber these days. But nonetheless, we would just start complaining and we would just go after it. And the number of conversations that I would have would just be negative. That we're complaining about our jobs, about our spouse, about politics, about whatever. And I'm just so tired of it. At 49, I've had my fill. And I didn't realize how much using complaint as a springboard for, to prayer would begin to retrain my mind. And I tell you, I like this atmosphere a whole lot better. And I'm actually an easier person to be around. So we talked about complaint last week. And this week, what we're going to talk about is in order to begin praying, we've got to learn how to stop. We've got to learn how to slow down. It is non-negotiable. Slowing down is an absolute necessity for our physical health, for our mental and emotional health, as well as for our spiritual health. And so many times, whether it's in prayer or just my approach to life, I often look like a dog that I saw in a video this week. What video, you say? Oh, I'll share it with you. Matt, Matt, would you cue the tape, please? <laughs> there we go no 
animals were harmed in the filming of this video. But what I want you to see is, I don't care how competent that dog is, I don't care how strong he is, I don't care how good he is at strategizing, there's only one thing that's going to help that dog out of his predicament. What is it? He's got to stop. That's the only thing that will help the dog. He has to stop. And so many times I'm like that dog tied up to a chair, and I think if I just run harder, if I run longer, if I run more strategically, then I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to outrun this dumb chair. And there are some things in our lives, I'm sorry to tell you, I know this is like a demotivational talk, but you're not going to conquer them. They're not going to go away. You're not going to just talk them away, pray them away, or think them away. Because there are some things that God is allowing in your life for the very purpose of forcing you to stop. It's the only thing that's going to deliver you. And what you think is the enemy's activity is actually God's strategy to wear you out so that he can liberate you by bringing you to a place where if you don't choose it, you're forced to slow down. That's the only way we overcome some of our challenges. Slowing down is absolutely essential. It's declared and it's uh, celebrated in Scripture. We see it modeled in the life of Jesus. And so this morning, we're simply going to talk about the concept of slowing down because that is a spiritual necessity for our spiritual and mental health. It is a spiritual necessity if we're really going to grow in learning how to pray. So the big idea this morning that we're going to talk about is Prayer is taking time to slow down and prioritize our friendship with God. Prayer is taking time to slow down and prioritize our friendship with God. As I introduced last week, prayer, the, uh, the, the prayer acronym that we're working off of these, uh, these uh, next few weeks is that we, we need to learn how to pause, rejoice, ask, and to yield. And this morning, we're talking only about the movement of pause. Prayer is taking time to slow down and prioritize our friendship with God. It's a passage that I want to read to you that, that you're familiar with, and, and it's one that, that, that we've read many, many times, um, but it's, it's one that we read past and we don't really stop to really think about its implications. And, and at first, it might not seem like it's about prayer, but I think it is actually the foundation of prayer. The passage is found in Genesis chapter 3, which is typically... Uh, uh, Typically, typically we think about that passage as being somewhat negative. It's about the so-called fall of humankind. But there's a little bit in the front of it that I think is really important. Just, just after the whole incident with eating the fruit of the tree um, and, and the consequences that Adam and Eve are experiencing, th then the scene changes and, 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 and we get a scene of God uh, uh, entering the garden. And so Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 says this, um, 8 through 10, I'm sorry, eight and nine. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man, said to him, where are you? Where are you? They heard the sound of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
the New American Commentary in commenting on this verse, and this is actually a verse, I, I, you know, every week I'm always surprised of, of what I discovered. A lot of ink has been spilt from commentators and theologians on this particular verse, and there's lots of discussions that have spun out from this, this brief verse. And so, so the New American Commentary simply says this, the anthropomorphic, everybody say anthropomorphic, that was not my word. It was quoted in the, in the thing, so I'm not trying to be fancy schmancy. Um, but anthropomorphisms are really important because it's a literary device that's used all throughout literature and in cinema, but it's also used many times, many, many times throughout the scriptures. And, and if we don't take a moment to kind of, to, 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 to kind of pause and really get our heads around anthropomorphic language, actually we can, number one, we won't appreciate what's trying to be communicated, and number two, sometimes we, t we take anthropomorphisms too literal, and it ends up kind of creating some unhealthy thinking on our part. So anthropomorphisms is simply giving human qualities to something that isn't human. That's it. So if I said... The stool nervously buckled under the weight of the profound native masculine figure sitting upon it, for example. Well, we know that the stool doesn't experience fear and anxiety, nor does it shake. If it's shaking, it's because I'm, my body's shaking. Um, but, but you get it. You're like, ugh, poor stool already sat on it. And so that's anthropomorphic language, and we use it all the time. So we know that God is spirit. He doesn't have eyes. But what might, we might say, God's eye is always on me. He doesn't have these things on the side of a head. But we might say, God, lend your ear to my prayer. That's all this is, anthropomorphism. So, so in talking about this verse about God, what, what's being communicated by the author when he highlights that God walks? Because I mean, it's not saying that God has legs and he goes for a walk. But what we're saying is, what, what, what's the author trying to say? And the New American Commentary says, the anthropomorphic description of God walking in the garden suggests the enjoyment of fellowship between him and our first parents. Now, why is this significant? Because this becomes the first example of prayer we find in the scriptures. God was in the habit of hanging out with Adam and Eve and enjoying conversation. He established this habit and this reality before the fall. It was his custom to do this before there was need to pray against sin and pray against suffering. Now, my point is simply this. I do believe we engage in prayer when we struggle with sin and when we encounter suffering, but we have to remember prayer was not first a utility for dealing with our problems. Prayer was an invitation to intimacy with God. Th that purpose of prayer precedes all other purposes of prayer. So when we begin to pray, we're not talking about first and foremost trying to figure out how to control the circumstances of our lives. We are talking about taking time to slow down and prioritize our friendship with God. 
And this relational aspect of God's heart is not only testified to throughout Genesis. Again, one of the challenges in these messages is editing out all of the things that I would like to share with you because it's so abundantly uh, sprinkled all throughout Scripture. But let's just look at a, a couple of others. Exodus 33.10, this is when God calls, is calling the nation out of Egypt and he is establishing a people for himself, those that would be the tribe, the people, the ethnic group through whom every family of the world would be blessed as he promised. Abraham in Genesis 12 and then once again in Genesis chapter 15 and here we see that the first thing that God does as he pulls the people out and he establishes an identity is he calls them to create a tent of meeting because first and foremost their God is about it is about the relationality of actually sitting with him face to face and so here this is a this is a passage referring to that tent of meeting Exodus 33, verses 10 through 11. All the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent. They would stand up and then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. Why? Because God was there speaking face to face, friend to friend. I am not involved in this particular expression of faith for the purpose of guaranteeing that I don't go to hell when I die. That used to be why I was involved. It used to be my primary motivation. And the culture in which I was raised, that's what it was all about. Maybe avoiding hell and then avoiding the sin that might put you back there. I'm not motivated by that at all. I am involved because I want to be God's friend. And more importantly, I need him to be my friend. I am not clever enough, smart enough, good looking enough, wealthy enough to navigate all of this without his friendship. It's an absolute necessity. And listen, it's not spiritual maturity. It's not being spiritual. It is, I'm at the end of my rope unless he's there. I'm just not very good at navigating life. I thought I was, and I realized I'm just not that great of it. Great at it. If God does not walk with me as his friend. But this is precisely what God invites us into. So when we first think about prayer, don't think of it as a utility of saying the right things so that you can control the circumstances of your life. Recognize it for what it is first and foremost. It's God's invitation to be your friend. And so we begin by prayer by recognizing this relational aspect of God's heart. And we understand that prayer is taking time to slow down and prioritize our friendship with God. Jesus went on to say something remarkable. In John 14, he says, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, in this part of the country, we're kind of what's known as kind of born again Christians because we highlight that conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus 
when we talk about being born again. But it's really interesting because that was just one thing that he said about salvation. And he actually didn't say it to the general crowd. He just said it to Nicodemus. He said one thing to one guy on one night. And we kind of encapsulate our faith experience with that dialogue. But, and I'm not saying that we jettison that because I think the imagery of being born again holds some really powerful instruction for us for what it means to really decide to stop following our ego and follow Jesus. So it's good. But there are so many other great metaphors. What if we started just for an experiment over the next 50 to 100 years, primarily referring to the salvation experience as, has God made his home in you yet? Have you made your home in God? Because this is what salvation is. It is nothing less than the experience of God making his home with you. And this imagery is actually in the scripture, in the New Testament, more than born-again industry, more than born-again imagery. Remember the famous one in, in Revelation 3? We use it like as an in, like, like as a, um, uh, evangelistic invitation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But if you look at the context of that scripture, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers, which says to me that I can get so caught up in the busyness of life that I don't even realize I've ushered Jesus out the door and shut it behind him. And in his kindness and in his goodness, he comes back to me and he knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and have dinner with you. It says sup or something like that, but that's, that, that means something different to us. Sup, Adam. Um, and so, so it means, I'll come in and I will have dinner with you. Do you see it is the intimacy of table fellowship that ought to be one of the primary images that comes to our mind when we try to explain what it means that we've been born again, that we've become Christians, that we are followers of Jesus. It's the experience of God coming to live in you and with you and have dinner with you. And those are, in, and, and those are some of the most beautiful pictures of intimacy and joy that we know. See, prayer is not a means of getting into God's presence. Rather, prayer is slowing down to become aware of the presence in which we are always living. You remember the pagan poet that Paul quotes as prophetic authority. In him, we live and we move and we have our being. Prayer is taking time to slow down and prioritize our friendship with God. And the Psalms encourage us to enter into this stillness. Psalm 46, 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That spastic dog in our video, he just needs to be still and let someone of higher intelligence take care of him and loose his chain. But the only way that dog is going to experience that if he stops, slows down. Sometimes we do that through exhaustion and sometimes it's through intervention. I like intervention better than exhaustion, but God's used exhaustion more times than intervention with me because 
I'm usually too stubborn to pay attention to the intervention. Psalm 37, 7. Be silent before the Lord. Wake expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way or by the person who carries out evil plans. Look at that verse again, my friends, and those of you who are with us online and those who are listening to the podcast in the future. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way or by the person who carries out evil plans. We are selling our birthright if we are preoccupied with being agitated by what the president or the government does or doesn't do. If we don't have to live that way, what we can do is slow down and recognize our hope will never be in the kingdom of man or in his politics. It is always in the kingdom of God, and our king is in control. And it doesn't matter what it looks like around us. That is where we're drawn into. Facebook can't give you what silence before the Almighty can give you. And so we have to practice these spaces where we are silencing everything and we're setting in and we're waiting patiently for God. Psalm 131, 1 and 2, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Put that on your Facebook banner. Wouldn't that be a good reminder just before you click reply and make a comment? Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I just love this imagery. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a winged child with its mother. My soul is like a winged child. When is the last time that you calmed and quieted your soul. I think that's two movements there. Number one, stop engaging with things that agitate your soul. If it's agitating your soul, cut it out of your life. Whether that's certain conversations, whether that's social media, whether that is a particular toxic person that refuses to respect your boundaries, whatever is bringing that agitation, be willing to step away from it. That's one movement. But then the other movement is we don't just passively step away, we proactively create space to calm and quiet our souls so that our soul is like a contented, winged child with its mother. That's the invitation. I don't have time to go into all the nerdy stuff I wanted to go on to, into, like what this kind of lifestyle, what following these psalms do physiologically to your cortisol levels, but it's really worth pressing into and looking into. If you are interested in self-care and, and, and um, healthy, emotion, uh, healthy, um, and, and healthy mental health, these verses are really important to your pursuit in that. 
because this has physiological as well as emotional benefits as well as spiritual benefits. But we have got to proactively learn to slow down, to pause, to quiet our souls. Sometimes then we begin in prayer by saying nothing. Now for some of you, that happens because you sit down. Maybe you have something, a hot beverage at your side. For others of you, you're not wired that way, so don't become legalistic about it. Listen to how the Spirit's inviting you, and for you, he might say, go for a run or take a walk. Not all of us still ourselves the same way. What I'm saying is press into some self-awareness and find out what actually calms your soul and create space to do that because that is your first action of prayer is to have no action. It's to learn how to calm and still yourself before the presence of the Lord. One of the ways that I have found very helpful is the concept of breath prayer. As we create quiet, as we create stillness, either through sitting or walking or kneeling, however it is it works for you, one of the prayers in your toolbox that I hope that you would put in that toolbox, one of the tools, is the concept of breath prayer. I started prioritizing my physical and mental health more so over the past three years than probably any other time in my life. And in this year, I even ratched that up a little bit more. And one of the things I learned about myself was the way in which my erratic breathing was continuing to agitate my anxiety. And so I looked at a breath coach and even downloaded some app and I started practicing proactive moments of, of, of breathing before prayer. And, and the, what it did to the calmness of my soul was, I thought, was quite remarkable. It took some time. It took probably about a month before it felt natural and normal. Literally, I'd sit and hit a timer for five minutes, and it instructed me on how I was supposed to breathe. I felt a little silly doing it, but I'm glad I walked through that because then I began to incorporate that as that's how I prepare for prayer. Stop, and I just take a deep breath. It's remarkable. So simple. And then that began to become a little more sophisticated. Where in my mind's eye, as I breathed in, I thought about breathing in the blessings and the grace and the love of God. I just take it in, those blessings that flow from above. And then I think about the fear, the anxiety, and the agitation, and I just spill it out with my exhale. Three to five minutes, my soul calms down. Then I sit and wait for the Lord in silence. So as I grow, grew, as I began to practice that more, I got a little better at being able to voice prayers on the inhale and voice prayers on the exhale. And then I realized this is an ancient practice that Christians have been doing for millennia, way before we wrote pop breathing articles on Facebook and on the internet. It's called breath prayer. So I want you to think about practicing breath prayer. Breath prayer is a way of loving God with all of our strength because it requires us to pray both with our minds and with our bodies. But that's what Jesus says, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and... And he's talking about the physical realm. He's talking about utilizing our bodies as an expression of worship. 
in exactly the same way that we can employ our minds and our hearts as expressions of worship. That's more of what we think of. But when Jesus says, love God with all your strength, he's saying your physical body can also be an expression of love for God and for worship. So breath prayer is a way of loving God with all of our strength because it requires us to pray both with our minds and with our bodies. And I really like this idea of breath prayer. And again, I'm going to Oh, my, I, see, I've got my countdown timer, so I'm trying to be respectful of time. Um, but I got to tell you, I, 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 so I won't nerd too much on, out on this, but I thought this was really beautiful. Remember, breathing is the means through which God chose to share his life with us. And I saw this wonderful connection between Genesis and the Gospels, because in Genesis 2-7, it says God breathes his life into Adam. And Jesus, before the ascension, when he's telling them, don't worry, I'm going to send someone to help you. And then if you look at John chapter 20, verse 22, it says he did what? <sighs> Breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see what's happening there? Creation, recreation. Creation in Adam, recreation in Christ. And therefore, Jesus reenacts the very act that first gave humankind life in the very beginning because now we're being introduced to a new life in the new covenant old things have passed away behold all things have become new so breath is very much connected to the activity of the spirit even in scripture so here are some of my favorites you can you can pray these on the inhale and again on the exhale. And I like to just repeat one over and over. So there's, come Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's, an, it's an invitation for God to be present. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I like to use those who's in conjunction. So I inhale, come Holy Spirit, and I exhale, thank you, Lord. This is an acknowledgement that he's responding. There's also the Jesus prayer. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then the one before it is a Franciscan prayer. The Franciscans still use it, but if you ever read the biography of St. Francis of Assisi, there is a, a testimony of, of one of the traveling monks that were traveling with him, and it was time that they go to bed, and he went to bed, and he noticed Francis kneeling at the side of the bed. And when he woke up the next day, he looked over, and St. Francis is still kneeling at the side of the bread. But he didn't change his prayer. It was simply this. My God, my all. My God, my all. My God, my all. For six hours. That then became one of the staple prayers of the Franciscan movement. I like this one from a, um, Brennan Manning. Abba, I am yours. Abba, I am yours. Wisdom of God, show me your way. Or simply just the affirmation, I abide in you. But I think that if we would start prayer this way, we come into a different place. We, have a, we bring a different energy into our intercession. And it's rooted more in faith than our feelings. 
It's rooted more in confidence than in our agitation of our emotions. Now, as we get ready to close, what I want to introduce to you to is these great breath prayers by Sarah Bessie. And she did a better job than me because um, she's got all the scriptural references into these breath prayers. And so, um, so again, obviously, <laughs> it's not easy to speak while you're inhaling. So I'm not saying you have to speak these out. And I'm not saying you have to do it this way. Sometimes I don't worry about the breath and I just speak these prayers out. But they're short little prayers and oftentimes one of them will just stay with me throughout the day. And so when my mind is getting ready to wander off into agitation and anxiety and anger and bitterness, pull it out of that stream, stick it in a stream that's just breath prayer. So would you stand with me? And I think there's on the overhead, if you can see that, they're also in your handout. We are just going to take a few minutes because we have them because I honor the countdown timer to practice. So would you all do me the great privilege of praying with me for the next few minutes? So we're going to start. We're going to take our breaths. Just take a big old deep breath in. Lord, we thank you for breath. We thank you for the breath that reminds us that it is the breath that first gave us life. It is the breath through which you transmitted the Holy Spirit. And breath reminds us that your presence is as near to us as the air that we breathe. That even when we're not consciously acknowledging it, your presence fills our souls like your air fills our lungs. So we just take a moment, Lord, because we want to quiet and calm our souls. So we pray. Humble and gentle one, you are rest for my soul. True vine and gardener, I abide in you. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Be still and know that you are God. On earth, as it is in heaven, Your grace is enough for me. There is no fear in your love. I will not be afraid for you are with me. You are my refuge and my strength. Both day and night, I belong to you. 
I find rest in your shelter. You surround me with love and tender mercies. You fill my life with good things. Peace of Christ, guard my heart and my mind. Amen. Do you feel it in the atmosphere? Do you sense it? That calm, that invitation to the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit so that then he can tend to the issues in your heart, in your mind, and on your soul. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you, take and eat in remembrance of me. He then poured the wine and said, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink in remembrance of me.